listening to the Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown. Welcome to a very special live edition of the Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown. I am your host, Chris Brown, and we are just literally half hour after the biggest announcement that has come out of Alberta politics in some times. Joey has it right. Head explosions, jaws on the floor. Premier Jason Kenney has lost, well, he won his leadership race with 51.4% of the vote. But moments after the announcement, he announced that he was stepping down as party leader and as Premier of Alberta. This is going to be an interesting conversation for the next hour. I hope you do join us and continue on with us because we have some of the greatest minds in political politics here in Alberta on the show. Myself, and then we have three other people who are on the show. (laughs) But we, I'm pleased to have on yet again, Sarah, Joey, and Deirdre. Thank you so much, all three of you. As if you did not listen to our uh, uh, Fort McMurray Lackla-Bish by-election. I don't do last names anymore, so I'm just going to call them by their first names. So, gen, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for doing this. It's an honor and a pleasure. Hi. Evening. <laughs> I'm vibrating. So, I'm, uh... <laughs> let's go. Months, months and months later, we are finally here And we got the result that some of us were expecting, but we got the announcement that none of us were prepared for. I'm going to start off with the guy in the room, Joey. And I say that because I I shouldn't say the guy in the room because I'm a guy as well. But Joey, what's your initial thoughts here on what transpired tonight in Spruce Meadows down in Southwest Calgary? Well, I mean, Chris, from my perspective, I think it's pretty clear that Jason Kenney in fact, lost the uh, the leadership review vote. Um, and the party found a way to give him some dignity on the way out the door. He's the founding leader. He's one of the co-founders of the party. And um, I, I think the, the funny thing is we were all expecting a fabricated number. The only question was what fabricated number are they going to use? Uh, and they, they fabricated a number that was a majority so he could still ride off into the sunset saying, I never lost an election in my life, which was his talking point the last week or so. But now it looks like he's resigning for the good of the party, for the good of the movement. When in, in actuality, he knew he didn't have the support of the party. He knew he didn't have the support of Albertans. And he knew that if he did stay on, he would ride this horse into the worst electoral defeat since Kim Campbell. Do you actually think that's true? And I'll throw this over to Deirdre because the polls are polls and polls are a snapshot of reality. And I've always said to, uh, to anyone who's ever listened to the show, do not count Jason Kenny out because he is a campaigner. He knows how to go talk to people. And maybe this result tonight of 51.4% is a snapshot of people pissed off about how he handled COVID-19. But is Jason Kenney doing this for the better of himself or for the better of the party and the province? Deirdre. Okay. So he is, uh, I, I agree with Joey for, for starters. I did get a message uh, very shortly after all of that. Well, it started with a gift that said, bye-bye. And then the second thing was, <laughs> I heard that he did not get 40 or sorry, that he did not hit 50%. So uh, when Joey said that, I was like, I'm hearing the same thing. So like, did he, I, would he have resigned? I mean, this is so Jason Kenny, right? Because we have been watching him for the last couple of years, say one thing, one thing, one thing, and then turn around and do something completely different. So it doesn't even matter that he kept saying, all I need is 50 plus one or 50% plus one ballot and I will stay on. And even in his speech where he's like, I said that I would respect the, the membership results or the results of the membership, the will of the membership. And he's like, and that's what I'm doing. Well, if you won, then you're really not respecting what the membership chose. Right. So 
again, is that shocking that Jason Kenny would do in a complete about face? No, because that's Jason Kenny. However, I I don't think he would have stepped down if he didn't have to. I don't think he did it for the good of the party. I don't think he did it for the good of Alberta. He had to. Sarah, it brings up a good good point. And she you know, Deirdre does bring up a good point there is this was a result that I don't think anyone internally in the UCP in his office thought was going to happen. You could tell that he was emotional mess when he was up on that stage. I do not think anyone expected him to utter those words. I'm resigning as party leader and premier tonight, maybe in a week, maybe tomorrow at caucus, he would have done it, but he decided to do it tonight. Where does Jason Kenny now go in the history books of Alberta politics? Is he the Jim Prentices? Is he the federal politicians who try to come to Alberta and save a party? Or is he now the guy who gave up the top job in the province for the good of the conservative movement? It's... I know we're still shocked. (laughs) It's a loaded question. So... I think that Mr. Kenny will be uh, the premier that balance, that got a balance, a balanced budget that balanced itself. He got extremely lucky uh, with the, uh, you know, with the oil bump that we've been uh, we've been seeing. Uh, I think that Mr. Kenny will go down for a lot of reasons, and I am expecting very little good will be remembered of his era um, curriculum health, the status of healthcare right now, um, all the lies uh, to RCMP investigations, uh, multiple scandals, excluded caucus members. It was scandal after scandal, Aloha gate. And then he went in, in Europe and the word of order and cabinet was don't do anything. Um, you know, there, there's a lot to unpack tonight on how, you know, and I'm getting message from like some really prominent conservatives. That's like, well, we did it, which is, you know, a lot of people, I think he's going to be recognized as the guy that burned his oil in Ottawa and decided to try to come save us. But Jason Kenney couldn't save himself from Jason Kenney at the end of the day. Well, it's kind of ironic that he said that because Jason Kenney met Jason Kenney in Washington, D.C. yesterday, if anyone paid attention to the good old Twitter sphere. Jason, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't say it, everyone. Sarah did, so I'm just putting that out there right now. Um, Jason Kenney now goes down as another conservative premier. Oh, Someone's getting a call on the broadcast. Maybe sorry, it's another inside story. Sorry, if you if you can pardon me for a minute, I'll be right back. Sorry, it's yeah. it's bad right now. Okay, uh, but I'll I'll send it over to Joey here for a second. Um, Joey, Jason Kenny goes down as another premier who hasn't filled out his. Uh, successfully served his full term in office. The last one to do that was Rachel Notley. The last conservative premier to do that was Ralph Klein. Do conservatives just have a bad rap of being premier in this province and they can't get a unified party together to survive four years in office anymore? Well, I think, I think more than that, there's a, there's a particular characteristic in Alberta conservatives uh, at least political conservatives, which which essentially boils down to conservatives in Alberta will tolerate anything but losing. Right. So if a premier is going completely off the rails, but still looks like they can win it electorally, they'll stay on. But if 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 a premier starts getting approval numbers that are below those of the party, where generic conservative starts polling the head of the leader of the party, then conservatives in Alberta are not hesitant to pull that trigger and say, look, I can't fundraise. I can't find volunteers. You're threatening my local seat just by staying on. And the knives start to come out because 
I mean, if you, if you want to hold parties at the Sky Palace, that's fine. But if you're going to cost me my job, now now we got a problem. Well, just on that note, because over the last few weeks, and I'm not sure if I should throw to Sarah here because she came back with a very big grin on her face. So maybe she has some insight. <laughs> <was information>. listening. <laughs> but I, w- I want to know, because the last few weeks we've seen UCP MLA after UCP MLA start taking out those knives and start putting it into the back of Jason Kenny. Um, Deirdre, you, you said it best because he kept on talking about over the last week, 50 plus one, 50 plus one. How do you get a party that's unified three years ago to this state where there could be a major fracture in this party now due to the fact that if the the, the, the right candidate, and I say right candidate, not as in like politically right, but the right overall candidate isn't selected. This party is no longer going to be unified because Jason Kenney was holding it together with a fine tooth comb. It doesn't look like it's going to be unified after that result tonight, is it? No, it never was. The, the entire unification process promise was that it was going to be a merger of equal partners. People bought into that. Uh, Derek Fildebrandt, like crisscrossed all over rural Alberta, campaigning for unity. And they won unity, but they won it on a false promise to be equal partners. And in 2018, or after Jason Kenney became the leader, Uh, After the inaugural AGM, what you had was, you know, they 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 systematically pushed out wild rose. Right. So ones that were trying to run on behalf of the wild rose, ones that were organizers for wild rose, they were just shut out. And these are like these are people who did a lot of work. Uh, Prem Singh was one she did uh, take back alberta was that yeah yeah that's okay no perhaps, uh, no 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 take they, back zane novak is currently doing take back no alberta that's right okay which is that's so, a bit of a shocker though sorry <laughs> i was shocked to see that novak was he was on uh, the show if you didn't listen to episode 360 something because i don't remember the number right off the top of my head right now go back and listen to it because it's a great episode um yeah okay so it wasn't take back alberta but she was part of that unification uh campaign and officially nominated kenny for leader yeah, yeah like i mean this was but like i said so as they as they took as kenny took power and started to he replaced all of these very key people. And so you have what, what we're seeing in this, you know, maybe 50%. Um, what, what we're seeing is, is the fact that half of the party, half of the membership is really upset. And they're upset because they thought they were getting an uber conservative freedom loving whatever and that's not what they got and the other half of the party is like i expected this this is this is what we voted for so yeah. i mean it's it's fractured because it was never united in the well, first place and if you want to throw a bone to the uh, biblical literalists in the in the party here um, you can mention, oh, hello, Euro. You can mention, too, that um, for, for all intents and purposes, the United Conservative Party was a house built on sand, right? It was built for one reason and one reason only. The only reason that they could give for destroying these two legacy parties and bringing them together into a Franken party was to get rid of Rachel Notley and get rid of the NDP. And as soon as that was done, after that election, now what's our purpose? And they didn't have a solid answer for that. And they've been flailing in the wind ever since. Well, I want want to talk about that because two leadership races are going to be currently taking place. And both of them are conservative. You have the federal one and you have now, as of tomorrow, as of probably about an hour ago, once the announcements were, people are starting to start placing their bets and thinking about a potential bid. But Aaron O'Toole went down in February because he was seen as a moderate and he was trying to please everyone. You see now Jason Kenny going down and trying to please everyone. Sarah, 
is a moderate conservative who is trying to please everyone and not sticking to one lane, not achievable in 2022? No, we're too polarized. Um, you know, Kenny ran out of glue about 24 months ago when COVID started. He couldn't keep the caucus together. There was already divisions at the Barnes and, you know, the Wren and the Lowens. The Lowens, the Getsons, and, you know, and then their cousins. Um, they really decide, you know, and I think that we're going to go back to a scenario where there will be two conservative parties, conservatives. So I miss, we need to put in perspective that for the UCP to regain trust in the next year, they need to get it right. But if they cannot agree in the next three weeks on how they, or what they need to do to get it right, um, they're gonna be facing major, major, major issues at exactly 12 months from the election. So it's either everybody fractures, there's some floor crossing, there's a new party, the old PC is coming back. We're going back to a PC versus kind of wild roll situation if you want. Um, it's not guaranteed that Mr. Gene, because we know he's going to be throwing his hat in the ring, it's not guaranteed he's going to win the next leadership either. There is no guarantee that Mr. Gene is going to come in as the savior and just be like, well, I'm here now, I'm back. Like me, it's not going to happen. Um, but again, we need to look at who other players that have been calling for, uh, you know, Kenny's resignation who have been extremely silent on the leadership manner. Like I'm talking like the Schweitzers. And Godfrey's think, and all that. Godfrey's. Uh, Schweitzer has been extremely silent. Godfrey, Lila here. Those guys have been extremely vocal. So we shall see how we should have a good idea, I would say, within two next two, three weeks on how everything's going to be, you know, separated. But also the Batesons, the Harrisons and all those guys, they're going bye bye. They're gone. You know, well, so there's going to be yeah. a there, there's going to be a whole new dynamic in the premier's office, but how will that dynamic look for, you know, Rick? Well, I just want to know because, and this, well, and this is an open question for everyone and anyone can jump in on this. How does the party survive a leadership race after a vote like this? How does a party, because any candidate in their mind will go out and say, we need to keep this party unified to defeat the NDP. And we'll talk about the NDP in a few minutes here, but I want to know, how do you keep a party united so you don't have what Sarah talks about, two parties which allow the NDP to potentially go up the middle like they did last time? What is the big challenge ahead for the United Conservative Party? Because as anyone has heard, over and over again, there was a disproportionate amount of membership sold in rural Alberta compared to urban Alberta. So Calgary and Edmonton had less votes than potentially, and we don't know the numbers yet. We just know the results. And I should say that right now, we do not know riding by riding. I'm not sure if they're going to be releasing that. I hope they do for a little bit more context for where Jason did well and where he didn't do well. But how does the party stay united when you are seeing a rural urban divide so prevalent now. Anyone? You can't. you can't. And you're seeing it. The big proverbial big tent is not a thing anymore. We're seeing it at the federal level right now. And it's going to be going the same way at the provincial level. Like there was a writing. They said, well, 73% of our members voted against Mr. Kenny. But again, it's that silly divide between rural and urban that we have different values, we're focused on different things. There's more people against COVID restrictions and do, does not necessarily believe into, you know, vaccination. It, it, there's such a divide that we all hate seeing, but that does exist. But the that big tent that they've been trying to build, that tent is gone, gone. And the, and the question was, how do you keep the party united? You can't. 
party's not united. You can't keep it that way because it's not that way. And arguably, at least since the last election, it hasn't been. So how do you get the party united? The only thing that brought these these two solitudes together in the first place was the, the specter of Rachel Notley forming another government. So if you have a short leadership race where you just have somebody who gets up there who says, look, we need to do this quickly because we need to put a new stamp on this party or Rachel Notley is going to get back in. We can't be coming forward with, you know, just placeholder policy and legislation for the next six months, legacies of the, of the Jason Kenney platform, and then come out in December and say, okay, now we're a whole new party because that's exactly what Jim Prentice tried to do. And it failed. Yeah. I, I, I have to agree with Joey there because they're not united now. So how, how could you unite the party? The only way that I can think it would be possible, and Ken Bosenkul actually posted this earlier today, it's it's an ungovernable caucus, and they need to fix that. And so someone had asked, how do they fix it? <laughs> I'm like, well, you cut the cords and you get rid of the MLAs that are not on board. And because that's that the the number of people that a lot of these uh, dissenting MLAs are actually speaking out on behalf of are way more than the number of MLAs that are doing it or like the, no, the number of MLAs doing it are more than the people they're speaking up for. That's what I meant. Uh, Because this is like, even, even though in a couple of pockets of the province and it is pockets, like not, like highly populated areas, but you know, where we had a lot of that anti-vax, anti-mandate, there's small pockets. There's small pockets in, you know, Northern Alberta. They're not in Airdrie, in Angela Pitt's riding, not the kind of numbers that she would need to get reelected. So the the number of MLAs are speaking out on behalf of 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 these people who are just kind of like, you know, just really not seeing the reality of what a public health crisis is. And like, it's, it's a, it's a disproportionate amount of, of MLAs that are, that are giving voice to this and, and keep pushing it. So you get those people out of your caucus right now, you can't do anything else unless you call an election. You can't actually get rid of them unless you call an election. And I think they should. Which there's a lot that's going to happen over the next year. And I want to just take uh, take into consideration what's about to happen. Jason Kenney will not be sitting in the, the legislative assembly as of probably this time next week. Let's just put that out on the table right now. A new interim, a, a premier will be sworn in. New le- uh, interim leader of the party will be sworn in. Jason Kenney will resign his uh, uh, seat. A by-election will have to take place for a Calgary Lougheed. Then you will potentially see a leadership race. All the while, stampede's happening. COVID-19 is still happening. A year until the next election, uh, policy framework has to get prepared. The next leader is going to have to be well known to the constituents of Alberta. It can't be someone outside the caucus or can it be someone outside the caucus? Because then they can say, well, I wasn't in the shit show while it was happening. Anyone wants to take that? Well, you can absolutely have somebody coming from outside the caucus. The the perfect example of that is Jim Prentice, who won the leadership without being an MLA. He was able to separate himself completely from the Redford situation. And then he was the premier, despite the fact that he was not a member of the Legislative Assembly. So he had to run in a by-election as the premier to get in. And he won that by-election. But uh, yeah, I, I think it does need to be somebody who's coming in from outside, who's able to say, look, I was not part of that. I'm going to bring my my way of doing things. And that's where you look at your your federal politicians who actually have a connection to the area. Your Rana Ambroses and oh, your hi, Michelle Rempel. Good evening. Uh, your, your Michelle Rempel Garners and, and those types of 
of people or people who fairly recently retired from from public office uh, who could then come back and say, hey, look, you know what? You know me. I've been here all along. So that's where you start to look at retired mayors who might fit with the UCP or you look at retired provincial politicians who might fit with the UCP. Uh, you mean Nahid Nenshi might, might be running for the leader of the UCP, Joey? <laughs> I think that would be a brilliant fit. I'd like to announce that I'm going to be running. Good um, job. Okay. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I use uh, Intract e-transfers for the nations at the moment. But no, but I think that my husband's texting me running. <laughs> like, no, so I think that, you know, we need, I'm going to say it and everybody's going to hate it. We need a woman in government as a leader right now. We need the boys club lasted for so long and some policies were extremely hard to get done. Legislation was so So we'll, yeah. through. I can't even because I'm at a loss of words because it was just it was a boys club. Like just to give you an example, I was at a conservative debate the other day. I was invited to the leader's circle. Do you know how many women were in the room? Two. You and <laughs> um Pierre Poitier's uh campaign chair in Alberta. Oh. But it's Sorry, my dogs are, I don't know, something's happening, but no, we. Jason Kenny's resigning. They're getting, they're, they're voicing their opinion on it. Yeah, no, my dog is not that smart. <laughs> but, you know, we, we really need a refresh at the leadership level right now. And I think, you know, as much as the Nixons and, you know, the old guard, not so old guard, but old guard would like to, for it to, be one of the boys or, you know, somebody that they can't trust, I think you need to scrap everything out and start with a fresh slate at this point. You cannot win the confidence of the province back within 12 months with everything that's happening out there right now. I'm going to interject here and I'm just going to throw my two cents in here. I'm going to, I'm going to take us all back to 2018. For anyone who remembers politics in 2018, there was a man called Patrick Brown, who was the leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party. One fateful night in January, he had to resign because of a scandal. There was an election three months away from that moment. The party went to a leadership race and they still won. Doug Ford ran in that leadership race and he took the gravy train and he stopped all the work that was going on and all the liberal backroom deals in Ontario. And he took the train all the way to Queens park. I think you can see that happening here. I'm going to agree with Sarah. It's going to have to be someone who is more, and I'm going to use this word and I'm going to be a little bit insensitive here, feminine. I don't think you need someone who's going to be the tough talking a-hole in the room. You're going to have to have someone like Heather Stephenson from uh, Manitoba who took over from Brian Pallister, who has come in, who has sort of stabled the PC party out, not going up, but not losing the support. While we can talk about leadership races, and let's be honest, we have a lot of that to cover later on. This is day one of the, the future. I want to talk about tomorrow's caucus. Deirdre, tomorrow. Jason Kenny's walking in and walking back out, probably saying, choose a new leader. Are do you have anyone in mind that you could potentially see as a interim leader, pre, a caretaker premier like a Dave Hancock was between Redford and Prentice? So I was actually really quickly looking for the uh, um Don Braid's article because he had a small list of names that he's hearing uh, friendlies who wouldn't necessarily run for the actual leadership, so would make the better uh, caretaker. And of those names, so he had uh, Nate Glubish, uh, Nick, uh, Nicolaitis Dimitrios, uh, Rajan Sani, Rick McIver, Nathan Newdorf, and Sonia Savage. Now, of those individuals, 
I think they would be really smart to put someone like Rajan Sani. Now, whether or not she would actually do well in it, I'm not positive. Uh, however, I can also see Rick McIver getting it just because the guy's been around forever and they're like, oh, let's give also, Rick this. He was the interim leader when the party was started as well, right? Rick McIver oh, no. is like, no. Nathan no, that was Nathan Cooper. It was Nathan Godfrey. Cooper. Cooper Nathan was. Cooper. Ivor was yeah. the interim leader of the PC party. Sorry, after that. Prentice went. I, I, I'm confused. Everything's <laughs> I'm Mic sorry. Drop. But, but I have a question for you guys. I Ooh, someone wondering. else but the host is asking a question. Oh, yes, no. I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> I do declare. Go ahead, Sarah. <laughs> so what if Kenny was voted out tonight? Voted out because he was too centrist. That's <laughs> fuck. <laughs> but it is a possibility. If Jason yeah. Kenny is centrist, Pierre Polyev is. is liberal. Well, okay, and Sarah, okay, Sarah's right. This is something that Shane Getson, wasn't it Shane Getson actually said that, or was that who who was it that called him a liberal? Was that Getson or was that Hansen? Hansen. Somebody I, up in the north there. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was uh, the guy from Airdrie East, Peter Guthrie. That's oh, oh okay. Anyway, no, I'm pretty sure it was on. someone in the north, but but you're right. Okay, like we do know that. Uh, so Markasov, Jason Markasov, who's now with CBC Calgary, he put out an article the other day. He said that you know the urban rural divide in the UCP membership holders. Now, okay, and that's another thing. They have 59,000 members. Only 32,000 of them decided to vote, which is just 34. 34. 17 and 16. Yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> so only 34,000 decided cool. to actually vote. Um, that is, that's a, that's a really sad number. But with that 59,000 membership, 62% of them are small town and rural members. This is a party that is essentially the Wild Rose Party that actually managed to grab that brass ring and become government. And they're governing like the Wild Rose Party would have governed. And that's why their approval rating is at 30%. Like it's, it's just, it's astounding that this is even going on. So how do they get a, how do they get a leader? I mean, we're talking, they got to sell memberships, right? They are going to have to try and beef up those numbers. But the only way to do that is not with Danielle freaking Smith, right? Danielle Smith is not going to, could she lead the Wild Rose? Yep, she did it before, poorly, didn't get government. So she could do it, yes. You know, could someone else do it? as long as they realize that they will be leading the wild rose party and that like people need to get this out of their heads that, that this is the old PC party. Yes. They're cronies. Yes. They are still doing that because they are still the old boys club and that's what they do when they're in power. What the heck? Is that a horde? Is that a cat? <laughs> That's I, that's the rural rural coming into the show here, but you, you make uh, them somebody blowing their because Calgary just scored. Oh, thank you. Okay, <laughs> so, so so I have a yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick, piggyback on that comment here for a second because I, I'm from a rural area. I used to live in Slave Lake, Alberta, and Foster, Alberta. I come from a very conservative area. The one thing I heard over and over again, and this is going to all make sense in two seconds. I'm just going to go the long way around for the listeners and my viewers. The one thing I heard over and over again when I was living up there was rurals don't matter. Rural votes don't matter because they traditionally go one way or the other. And you don't see, no, Sarah, I know you're shaking your head, but let me finish this out. You don't see the funding in rural communities. You see a lot more money going into Edmonton, Calgary, because there's a lot more condensed seats. So you see more politicians there. Yes. You are seeing that provincially as well and federally. Alberta doesn't matter because where are the votes? In Toronto, in Montreal. But after tonight's vote, if what we are saying is true and rural voters 
made this happen. Rural voters are in the driver's seat for the next two years until the next election, are they not? Are they not the ones that are going to be making the decisions? And I, Sarah, I'm going to go to Joey first and then I'm going to Sarah because I feel like Sarah is just going to go off for like an hour. But are rural voters now in the driver's seat in this government, in this party, and in this province? Well, no, yes, and no. And I'll tell you what. Um, the way this party is constructed, the way it's constituted, is one member, one vote. So in a one member, one vote party, it doesn't matter if you have 5,000 members in Drumheller and 20 members in Calgary Varsity, Drumheller is calling the shots. But in a delegated, in a party that has a delegated decision-making process, where it's delegates who go and you are able to send 10 from each constituency, then the actual um, power balance that exists electorally in the province comes into play. So Alberta's the three-legged stool, right? You have to win two of Edmonton, Calgary, and rural, or you can't govern. But in a party that is one member, one vote, if I can sign up 50,000 members in Calgary, Falcon Ridge, then I can run the party province-wide. I can't win an election, but I can run the party. So that becomes the question. Do you give all the power to the rural constituencies with this one member, one vote system? Or do you say, okay, you know what? We have to reflect the voters we're trying to appeal to. And and at that point, you move to a delegated system like many of the major federal parties have. Joey, as a former rural voter, I feel attacked by your last statement. Rural votes matter, okay? We can we can sway a lot of things, just not elections. Sarah, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna give it over to you. I'm gonna go get a drink of water because I'm assuming this is gonna be a long-winded speech. I'm joking, go ahead whenever you're ready. <laughs> No, Joey said it pretty well. And if, if we're looking at the, the pollings that came out recently, um, you know, uh, I would say that there's a lot of angry rural voters that could be, the pendulum could be swinging towards, you know, another party's favor. Um, but again, is it, because, is it because it's too right? Is it because it's too left is what there's so much into it and rural has a big impact within caucus oh my god Deirdre stop laughing Jesus um it's rural is large and in charge if we want to put it that way they're extremely heavy and the balance within caucus a lot of decisions the past three years have been made with, you know, rural caucus in mind. And very often we were hearing rumors from disagreement between rural and urban caucuses that drove some decisions that the province didn't really, was not necessarily okay. Like when they decided caucus was over, uh, we know that urban caucus was not okay with that because we knew that we would be probably more affected than rural, right? So it's going to be... They need somebody that's kind of like the equivalent of Adivan, but for a political party that's going to be able to bring in the Zen. Are, and did you just say the UCP needs a Xanax without saying the UCP needs a Xanax? No, I said Adivan. Different. What's the, but what's they, the really, they really need to take a step back and really look at the bigger picture here. Because if they want to stay in power, if they want to come back in power in a year, they cannot go too, too, too right. Yeah, over half the caucus is rural, and and like like Sarah was just saying, you know, like they can they can be very comfortably reelected time and time again as an opposition caucus, but if they want to actually govern, they need to be able to appeal to one of Edmonton or Calgary, ideally both, but if they can't do either. They're just not. But it's the same problem that we're seeing again at the federal level. Pierre will Pierre Poliev win the CPC leadership. He has good chances. Is he appealing 
to uh, Anon Luke from the south shore of Montreal that has been voted liberal of all, his, all of his life and he's tired of Trudeau? I don't think so. Like there's a fine balance that has to be found. And maybe Kenny was too much on the right. And for the right, maybe Kenny was too on the left or too much of a centrist for them. So it's going to fracture. That's, that's. Yeah. I, Deirdre, your last word before I go to the next statement, the next uh, last round of questions. Um, kind of, you know, Joey really had it there when he said, um, and and 59,000 members, I'm sorry, did did Kenny not say, or was it Kenny, not not Kenny, it was the uh, yes. Cynthia Moore. Did she not say that they, that their party membership doubled over this leadership race? Did she not make that comment? She did. So yeah. about 20,000 of them would only have voted if you were able to bring in a necromancer. Like. <laughs> so basically the original members are like, nah, I don't care anymore. And only the new people voted like this is a, this is kind of outrageous. But anyways, so <laughs> 59,000 members yeah. is all the party has right now. Does well, that it's more than a lot? It has it's more than a lot of the political parties got in the it last is, election? Let's be honest. It's it is <laughs> it it's a lot, but it's not a lot for the UCP. How right? many We're of them coming from Take Back Alberta and all their, their efforts in yeah. rural to vote against Kenny? Well, and they got them. Yeah. So obviously yeah. there was enough of a desire. Right. Yeah. Even before unification, if Dave Hancock, when he was PC party president, woke up and he had 59,000 members, he would have thrown himself off the high level bridge because that is not nearly enough members to get people out to run your campaigns and to fund your campaigns, more importantly. And they've been trailing so much. And they were like, oh, well, adjust the numbers. We're beating the NDP. But really, there was a fundraiser. Not a long time ago, at five hundred dollars a ticket, that the checks had to be written to the law he um, association. Right. So, well, adjusted I, adjusted numbers. I'm eight foot two. If you measure each of my legs, separate. I know. Right. But we're losing so much. Just even if you look at the numbers, it's the fundraising numbers are pitiful. I want to move on to our last segment here because I'm just cautious of time here. And I'm going to start with Sarah on this one. While Jason Kenney is leaving, we have another political party, a political leader who is probably doing a bit of a jig right now because there might have been a yay, he's gone or oh, crap, he's gone. And now we have to decide who our next uh, opponent is because we're going to be talking about the NDP here for a few seconds. And I want to do that because Jason Kennedy was a known quantity in Alberta. People knew him. People loved him or hate him. The NDP now have a issue where they have no up. They have no premier in that chair. Who's going to be running against them in the next election. So they are going to be for the next few months, kind of not in the news as much as they're going to be. If Jason Kenny stayed around, So what does the NDP need to do, Sarah, to ensure that what happened tonight doesn't translate into lost votes, lost constituencies, and loss of momentum that we've seen over the last year and a half? Well, they they need to pivot their message, right? Because they were the Kenny government, Jason Kenny, Jason Kenny, Jason Kenny, Jason Kenny. But now they need to paint the UCP as the problem. They need to be able to pivot and adapt in the next, I would say, probably like 14 hours, give or take. They need to come up with a brand new way of laying down their strategy and really say UCP bad. That's almost the messaging you want the NDP to throw out. It sounds silly, but they've been smashing on Jason Kenny so much and they lost the whack-a-mole game. And now they need to press restart and they need to re- they need to scrap everything they had laid out for the next six months and start hammering everything. And if I was them, if I was them, 
I would be like attacking each minister in their portfolios. That's what I would do and paint them as a whole gang of not that great people because this collapse of healthcare right now. This is going to be, unless, unless Sarah is right and they can pivot on a dime, which let's be honest, sometimes the NDP have a hard time doing that. And that's just my opinion. And that's just me being here. Um, and yet again, for those who know, I'm married, I was married to a former NDP MLA. So hi, hi, hon. Um, I want to know Joey and Deirdre and either one can answer this. The NDP have a challenge. Like you thought the last few months were hard for the NDP trying to stay on top of Jason Kenney, hammering them. The next few months is NDP who? Like we don't care about Rachel Notley right now because right now who who's going to be the next premier of Alberta? That's going to be the biggest news story. So how do you break through that news gambit? And how does the NDP stay relevant during a election period because we are in the red zone until the next election. And if they get taken out of the news cycle, I'm sorry, but if you continue talking about one person, one party over and over again, their numbers are going to rise or fall, but usually they rise because, Hey, we have this person or, Hey, we have this person and leadership races, bring out memberships, bring out supporters. So how does the NDP stay relevant? Deirdre. The NDP should have hopefully learned from what happened in 2018, which was when the UCP held the news cycle for essentially an entire year of nomination races. Mm -hmm. Now, if they didn't learn from that, let me say it slower. The UCP kept the headlines for an entire year just from their nomination races. Now, granted, because there was a lot of scandal, but you know what? We there were people who really pay attention to politics who were like, people are going to look at the ballots and say, you see, where's PC? Where's Wild Rose? Well, you know what? They managed so that that didn't happen because they were constantly in the news. Everyone knew who they were. So the NDP needs to get themselves their own headline. They have been following Jason Kenney and the UCP constantly. Again, let's go back to what did the UCP do while they were in opposition? They held the headlines. They were making policy promises. They were making news on their own. And the NDP has followed them around constantly. And it's just, I mean, and they, like we've known, Sarah, how long have we been talking about this? A year and a half where we're like, they need to pivot away from Kenny, Kenny, Kenny. <laughs> like, like we all, we all saw that this was, Please you know, months, yeah. yeah, it's not for lack of trying to communicate out there. Let me tell you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they, I, that's what they need to do is they need to look at what was, you know, the UCP was successful. What did they do? Well, they weren't following the NDP around constantly. They were doing their own thing. I'm a they fan of, their own thing. I'm a fan of controlling your narrative. And I, I very often, you know, it's you and that's what Jason Kenney was extremely good at, was always controlling his narrative. So Rachel and Ali and her team need to find their story right now and keep pushing and keep pushing and expand and present a platform like. In a month instead of in 11 months, they need to start pushing more policy points and stronger and be taken more seriously by the journalists out there. Because very often the pressers right now, there's one, two, maybe four questions and off we go. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Um, well, and I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt. I'm just oh. going to throw it to Joey here for a second, because I want to talk about the urban rural divide in the NDP, Joey, let's be honest, the NDP have traditionally not done well in a uh, the rural areas. They did well in 2015 because there might have been a bit of a split. Um, I remember interviewing one of the leadership candidates in 2014 when I was a reporter in Lloydminster, and I asked them what their agriculture policy was, and they told me with a straight face, we don't have one because we've never traditionally done well in agriculture issues. And I went, Oh, well, you've just lost basically all of Lloydminster and Wainwright. So congratulations. Um, 
does the NDP, does Rachel Notley, because right now the NDP have been strictly focused on Calgary, Edmonton because of that voter base. Is this not the perfect time for her to start going out to Hannah, Faust, Peace River, up to maybe Fairview, maybe Jasper, maybe even uh, like Kit Scotty, Alberta? Is it time for the uh, Alberta NDP, because the UCP are going to be in shambles for the next few months until the leaders decide it, to start talking to those rural voters? Because it's their only time that they're not going to be like with a magnifying glass over top of them looking at exactly what they say and they could have an actual conversation with rural voters. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the greatest asset the NDP has had for the last three years has been Jason Kitty. The second greatest, greatest asset though, that they've had has been Rachel Dolly. So this is an opportunity for her to do some targeted visits to some of these constituencies where she can look at folks and say, were you better off? with him and with them or were you better off with Rachel right I think better off with Rachel is going to become the feat and that's going to be what what they're sort of steering with while the UCP is going through its leadership machinations and it's trying to eat its own young you're going to see the NDP come out and say hey you know what we were the adults in the room were you better off with us or were you better off with these clouds and that will probably be the kind of messaging that they go with. Now, I don't know if they could realistically expect to win too much outside of the big cities, which is ironic because the NDP was created by rural Western Canadians. But, um, you know, regardless of that, looking at just the electoral math, if the UCP splits, either formally or informally, and a lot of people start looking at some of these other right-wing parties, start looking at Wild Rose Independence, or somebody on the far right does win the leadership and you see the more centrist, fiscally conservative, uh, urban conservatives either decide to stay home or move their vote temporarily to the Alberta party or something like that. The NDP doesn't necessarily need to win outside the cities to win the legislature. If you've got a fractured opposition, you've got a pretty stable shot at governing. Fractured go- government, don't you mean? <laughs> Not a fractured yeah. opposition. <laughs> well, no, they, they would... The, the oh, their opposition, I get you, but... Would be, I, yeah. I was right too, Sarah. I saw that little, little, little finger wave there. <laughs> um, so we are closing in on the hour mark. And I have one last question for everyone. And I I want you to think about this for a few seconds, because this is going to be a big one. Who was the true winner of tonight's uh, leadership review? I want to know from you who the true winner was, because I already know who you're going to say who the loser was, because we all agree that it was Jason Kenney, because he didn't get the, oh, okay, Sarah, you shook your head. So I'm going to ask you both questions then. Who was the winner and the loser of tonight? Sarah, since you shook your head, we'll go with you first. Jason Kenny's the winner tonight, and DNDP has everything to lose tonight. Why do you say that? Why was he the Jason, winner, do you think? He left on his own terms. He did not get humiliated during provincial election. He did not get taken down by Rachel Notley. He left at his own accord. Um, and the NDP, because if there's a more reasonable leader or somebody that is able to, you know, keep the party together and really make it work, that could, and they're able to gain the the trust back into Albertans, which I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but if they manage to do it and they do it well, um, the NDP could pay the high price of tonight. Deirdre, what about yourself? Oh, you're coughing. So, Joey, as we got a cougher, we're going to go to Joey. Joey, who is the true winner and loser of tonight? And don't get me wrong. Don't be like, oh, he's putting us on the spot. I'm going to give mine as well. So don't be going, oh, it's only the Chris show. It is the Chris show. So just, but anyway, Joey, who is the winner and loser of tonight? I think the biggest loser tonight was probably establishment conservatism in Alberta. Mm. Um, it was the guy's... <laughs> It was the guys at the Petroleum Club. 
it was the guys who are used to getting the phone calls answered uh, or returned immediately from the premier's office because they've been greasing the right palms for the last 40 years. Um, the conservatives spent four years in the penalty box, but when they came back, it was the same cronyism than it was when they left. It was just wrapped up in a slightly different package, uh, very slightly. But Jason Kenney was their last gasp. He was the dead cat bounce of that style of conservatism. And now that he's going to be gone, uh, I think you're looking more towards these, um, I don't want to say tea party, but but these, these real um, uh, libertarian conservatives, these, these folks who say government should do as little as possible. So in that case, I think the big winner tonight was folks like that, folks like the Nixons, folks like the, uh, um, uh, you know, the Shane Getsons, people who, uh, who, who really feel that government should do as little as possible and that taxation is theft. I think those people won tonight. Deirdre, last, well, second last but not least, winner so, and loser tonight. The winner was the people of Alberta because Jason Kenney is gone. Okay. <laughs> now, the loser... <laughs> The thing is, as much as as much as we wanted, you know, as much as we wanted to see uh, some comeuppance for the man, uh, some accountability, uh, he had to go as well. Right. They like he had to go. He was awful. He'd lost control of everything. He had to go for the betterment of Everyone here, he had to go. So I'll, I'll stick with that as my. And now who who the loser was. Um, I, I kind of. I mean, I think that I think that part of who who is the loser in this. Um, I'm very concerned that it's going to be the center right, not the ridiculous right because i'm pretty sure they've got the ability to organize a lot better uh the center right i think uh, especially the center right within the ucp i think they're gonna have i mean they're the ones who are going to get flicked off now so that's losers for me so my winner of the night and this is gonna go back a few years my winner of the night is allison redford Alison Redford now looks like a good premier because she got 77% of the vote. She had caucus support. Yes, it was crumbling, but she was able to hold on and she went out without a leadership review. So I'm going to say the winner tonight was Alison Redford when it comes to premiers. And maybe that's because I want her on the show and I want to chat with her. So maybe that's a little plug there, but that's just me being me. And then the loser of tonight is every other party besides the UCP. The Alberta party, the Liberals, the Greens, the NDP are going to be shut out of the news cycle for the next 18 or 12 months until the next election. They have the worst possible hand they've been dealt tonight. Jason Kenney winning with a larger majority than 51% would have helped them get into the news cycle. Now it's going to be the race, and I say this, and I said this at the beginning, but the true battle of Alberta is about to begin. I know we're recording this on the first night of the Oilers and Flames, but the true battle of Alberta begins today, and the opposition parties are not a factor in that. And that is got to be concerning for any war room who is currently setting up for heading into the next election. While there's candidates getting out there, how do you attack a party that doesn't have a leader. You can't. You have to wait. And the worst thing about politics is the waiting game. We had to wait till this leadership review was done and it didn't go the way that it wanted. So now they have to pivot. And like I said, some parties are not good at pivoting and they need to do that 
better. So that is my loser of tonight. It's not just one party, but it's all the opposition parties who are going to be trying to buy for votes. I wish them the best of luck, but I also want to take this moment and thank Sarah, Joey, and Deidre for coming in, sitting down, and doing this. I know there's a lot more important things you want to be doing, like watching the Oilers and hockey, uh, Oilers and Flames game, but I think after this hour conversation, no, maybe not. Well, welcome to the maybe maybe this is our hockey. This is our hockey. Oh, three, one Flames. Three one flames. Oh, good, good, good. Are you good. an Oilers fan? I was gonna say we're all Southern. We're all, we're all. I'm sure we're all. No wait. Did you say three, red flags? Three, did you say three ones? Oh no, he has an Edmonton Oilers. Oh, so it's so not really. With that, um, <laughs> Joey is no longer being invited back onto the show. I shouldn't say that because I'm an Anaheim Duck fan, but that's just me. Um, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, we will be back tomorrow night for another live edition because we want to dissect this a little bit further. Sarah and I are going to be back for point of order. So please tune into that. It's going to be fun and you just don't get enough of us. And this will be our last episode for a week because next, next week we're off because I'm back in Ontario covering the election there, but we'll be back after that. So with that, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Have yourself an excellent day. And remember guys, get out from behind that screen. As I know everyone was and stay Strong and free over and over and over and over and over again. Talk to you later, guys. Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown was produced and edited by Miranda Brown Associates Incorporated. To learn more about us, visit crossborderinterviews.ca. 